For you, the listeners of Freelancer Show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to LootCrate.com slash Ruby. Again, that's LootCrate.com slash Ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Hello and welcome to the Freelancer Show. Today on our panel we have Philip Morgan. Hello, hello. Kai Davis. Hey there. Me, Jonathan Stark. And we're joined by author and freelancer extraordinaire Jason Scott Montoya. Hey, Jason. Hello, how's it going? Thanks for having me today. Great, glad to have you. So for folks who uh, are hearing about Jason for the very first time, Jason wrote a book called The Path of the Freelancer. And I invited him to come onto the show to talk about it. Specifically, I want to talk about the four stages of freelancing. Is that what you call it? Yeah, there's uh, essentially four uh, uh, profiles, uh, stages that we go through in this journey to succeeding as a freelancer. And uh, it makes it helpful to, to see where we are, where we're trying to get to, and, uh, and also address the different uh, traps and distractions that, that each of those stages face. So yeah, that would be a good, good description. Excellent. So before we get into that, could you, I, I'm, I'm always fascinated how people define the word freelancer. So what does it, what does that word mean to you in the context of this conversation? Yeah. So, uh, that's a good question. And, uh, and interesting enough, it's, um, uh, a lot of people have a lot of different definitions, but if we, uh, if we actually go to the actual root of it, um, ultimately what a freelancer is, it's someone that works for multiple clients they, like me or, or you guys, we have multiple sources of income, different clients that we're working with. So we're not loyal or beholden to any one company. We're not employed with one. And, uh, and although there may be exceptions where a freelancer only has one client, um, the, the, the general sense of the word is that, that I'm, I'm working for hire. I'm a mercenary. Um, whoever's paying me is who I'm, I'm working for and, and taking care of. So that's, that's how I look at freelancing. It does tend to be a little bit broader than people usually think of. A lot of times uh, people think of freelancing uh, in the context of marketing or design or technology, but it is a lot broader than that. Um, a consultant, a business consultant would actually at least under the definition that I use, would fall under freelancing, an independent contractor. So, uh, so it's uh, that's like at the end of the day is if their source of income comes from multiple clients, then then I would deem them as a freelancer in the in the broadest sense. Makes sense. Yes, I'm glad <laughs> we got that out because we do uh, in other contexts. I think that makes perfect sense for this conversation. In other contexts, we sometimes distinguish between a consultant and a freelancer as being different points on the spectrum, but I don't think that's really, I don't think that matters that much for the conversation today. Yeah. So that's uh, perfect. Yeah, definitely. All right. So what about these four stages of, of freelancing? Are they, are they incremental? Are they things that are sort of, you might jump from one to the other or is it kind of like a directed path usually? 
Um, you know, I tend to see it as a as a general t- a directed path that's sort of linear, and, and there's these four stages, and there may be aspects of our freelancing. Um, the way that I break it down in the book uh, is, uh, you know, that this applies not just to our freelancing as a whole, but also the way we manage our money, the way that we um, uh, find and and sustain uh, active clients, uh, the way that we uh, to balance our personal and freelancing work. So I could be uh, uh, one of these stages um, in, in as, a, as a whole, but in, in, in uh, finances, I could be in a different one. So that's how I would distinguish it. So do you want me to just go ahead and run through the four stages so that uh, we get started with a good foundation there? Is that what? Sure. Yeah, that'd be yeah. perfect. So the first stage is really what I call the survivor stage. And the survivor is primarily motivated to, by provision to survive. They, they, we got to pay the bills. We got to, um, we got to eat, we got to drink, we got to have a place to sleep. And so as a, as a survivor, that's our mindset is how do I, um, get the next paycheck? Um, so that's the primary motivation. The second stage of freelancing is what I call the dreamer stage. And just like the, the phrase um, states, you know, it's someone who's thinking about freelancing, they're dreaming about it, they're spending a lot of time talking about it, um, but they're not really doing a whole lot with it. They're, they're sort of stuck in that um, planning stage forever. Um, they probably read a dozen books on freelancing, but they've never really <laughs> made, the, made the jump. The third stage is what I call the visionary and the visionary is someone that started freelancing and they're primarily, you know, they're motivated. They want to actually do something. They want to accomplish something. And so they've started this journey down this road. And uh, and at some point they get distracted and they end up going down different roads. And one of the common traits of a visionary is they've started a lot of things, but they haven't finished a whole lot. And, uh, and, so, and that's really the difference between the visionary and the final fourth stage, which is the achiever. And the achiever is primarily driven to accomplish their goals. Um, they're going to move forward they're, uh, regardless of how they feel. Um, they're going to succeed, and there's not a whole lot that's stopping them. And a couple of ways to kind of differentiate between a couple of these stages, particularly the visionary and the achiever stage, is the achiever, when uh, when an achiever comes across a situation, for example, they don't have any clients, they don't, they, they've sort of finished their projects and there's nothing on their plate, they're thinking, how do I get my next project? How do I um, land the next gig? A visionary starts thinking, man, things are rough, it's hard, should I go get a job or should I keep freelancing? And so the visionaries, is they're not as anchored in their intentions. They may have them, but they, they haven't realized what the realities of freelancing is. And so when those difficult and challenging circumstances arise, they start to question their decision. So in a nutshell, that's the idea. You've got the survivor, the dreamer, the visionary, and the achiever. And, uh, and, and freelancers span you know, all four of those areas. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's a good way to think about it. Is it? It's kind of like stages of maturity, almost the business maturity. Like how much, you know, if you're sort of kicked out of employment and you're like, geez, I, you know, I, I, I don't know, I was doing web design at my company. They could downsize me. I'm out, and I'm just frantic. I just, I need to pay my car payment. So you just like freak out and try and get some survivor type money. Is that sort of the the earliest stage? Yeah. And so it's, you know, you, you just do whatever, you know, (laughs) you don't necessarily think about it. So uh, a lot of times when we're in that survival mode, we found ourselves there because we didn't understand, um, the phrase that I like to use is uh, standing on the shoulder of giants. 
and we didn't understand when we're in that survivor mode which shoulders we were standing on. We didn't appreciate maybe the company we were working for. We didn't appreciate what they were providing. Um, yeah, the grass is greener on the other side of the of the fence, but at some degree there was something they were providing that was beneficial to us. And so when we jump into freelancing, you know, we might just uh, forget that or not appreciate it or understand it. And so we think, oh, yeah, I can go do this on my own. Oh, I can go make this happen. Um, but very quickly realize that's not the case. So. <laughs> yeah, I can I can remember back to resenting my one and only corporate employer because they, you know, we were fighting about a raise and they ended up saying uh, no. And I, so I sort of thumbed my nose at them and went elsewhere. Uh, yeah. I didn't go straight to freelancing, though. I went to an agency, so it was sort of a transition. And after the agency, then I went to freelancing. So I spent a fair amount of time. Uh, it, it would have been disastrous for me if I had gone straight to freelancing because I didn't have the foggiest idea how to actually, really how to interact with clients. And in fact, the much broader world of the technical challenges that I was tackling, they were out there. So Because I was basically internal employee at a place that was all Mac that had a particular installation of software that had all consistent versions. And I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm amazing at this. I could do this for anybody. And then I go to this consulting firm and they had windows and they had Mac and they had all sorts of versions of the <laughs> software. They had old versions, they had new versions. They were, you know, I was like, Whoa, I thought it was like the man. And then all of a sudden I get out and I was just like, I was like, wow, I don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> and if and I, I had can, gone solo, it would have been a disaster. Yeah. And I, I can definitely relate. So me and uh, my wife, we, um, we met in high school um, and, and we're actually both from Arizona and we got married in 2005. And the day we got back from a honeymoon, we packed up everything and moved from, from Arizona uh, away from everyone and anything we knew to Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> and we really jumped out on our own um, into the ocean. And, uh, it was rare. It was very rough. It was very challenging. And, uh, and I, I thought I could sort of conquer the world, so to speak, but the world, uh, had, had harsh realities for me to learn. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, that's where I went to Atlanta. Okay. Yeah. So where, 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 where parts are you from? Uh, I am from, I was working in Boston at the time and then I went to work in Atlanta and I lived in Decatur. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and one of the things, you know, in, in regards to the survivor stage versus the dreamer stages is, you know, once we get a, we're, we are fed, we have, you know, we're paying our bills. Um, that's when the dreamer stage can start because we can start thinking about things other than just surviving. And, um, and so these stages, they're not necessarily like a bad thing The really the downside is not that we go through them. The downside is when we get stuck in one of them and we don't mm -hmm. move to the next one. That's really mm -hmm. the, when there's a problem. Cool. And I, I like what you just did to kind of help people who are listening to give them a little bit of a litmus test, to maybe figure out what stage they're currently in. So, yeah. you know, you, you probably know from the description so far, if you're in the survivor stage, you know, you're like trolling Craigslist for any kind of gig and job boards and you just, you know, you're just not sure how you're going to make ends meet and you're constantly taking whatever work you can, regardless of you yeah, know, red flags or whatever. You're like, whatever, just send me a check. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, in the book, I, I, I go through these eight achievements. And within each of these eight achievements, there's these checkpoints. So, for example, one of the, uh, the, fi the fifth achievement is we're unaffected by the roller coaster. And one of the elements of that is we have an emotional support system, which is kind of what we're talking about in terms of jumping in on our own. And so a survivor uh, in that sense would be someone that's alone. They don't have any community. 
they're by themselves, they're isolated. And, and so you can imagine that someone that's just struggling to survive, struggling to get a paycheck, and there's no community around them, there's no friends, there's no colleagues. It's a very uh, difficult and challenging situation. And that would be an example of kind of in a specific sense of where that would play out. Yeah. Okay. So then you said moving into the dreamer stage, that's when you start to you feel like you've got your legs under you, it seems like, and you can start to think about, geez, uh, okay, this, this is working now. <laughs> like you kind of start to fantasize about uh, what, what's, what's the fantasy growing it? Um, like, wow, I work for myself. I could, I don't well, know, I make think, tons of money. Like, what's the fantasy? Yeah, and I think uh, I think that's a good point. A lot of people they dream, and we can when we're dreaming about something, whether it's starting a business, it's freelancing, whatever it is that we're going to do. Um, you know, in some cases, we might have a dreamer who's not actually started freelancing yet, right? There, uh, in some cases, you might have someone that is. But the idea being is that they're thinking about what could freelancing be, and you know. Um, kind of like you alluded to at the beginning of the call, you know, you left your job and this sort of uh, this, you had to go to the marketing company before you could really jump off. And the idea is, I think a lot of people, they jump into freelancing or they start thinking about it and they think by becoming a freelancer, and this would be the, the downside or the negative of the dreamer as they, as, as we would start to think, you know what, freelancing's better. It's, it's going to give me um, a better life. I'm going to make more money, what, uh, whatever it might be. The problem is, is if, you know, just because I become a freelancer, I don't automatically um, accomplish these goals just because I dream about them doesn't mean they happen. There's a lot of hard work that goes into it. So while the dreaming can be inspirational and get me to think and explore ideas and, and, and pursuits that I might not otherwise have done, I also have to be careful that there is a reality of it and I have to see the full picture um, as part of my decision. So one of the things that I've, I've come up with, uh, that I talk about in the book is this idea of what I call the formula for intentionality. It's the formula for intentionality. It includes four ingredients. And the idea here is that before we make the full jump into freelancing, um, and move into the, um, the visionary stage, we really want to decide and define our intentions. So the formula of intentionality gives us these four ingredients that include purpose, mission, vision and values so purpose is our why it's why are we freelancing it's why are we doing this uh going down this road uh mission is our how it's um, how we're going to go about freelancing how we're going to work with our clients um, what are some of the specific ways we're going to work with them who's uh, who's the client that we're working with and then the vision is is really the destination it's uh, it's what does freelancing look like uh, when I've arrived at success, in terms of finances, in terms of who I'm working with, in terms of the type I've the type of work I'm doing, and what is it that I'm doing for my clients? Where where am I taking their business or their department or their employees in terms of t what type of project it is? But I'm really painting a picture both for myself and my clients, and then all of that's contained by our our values. Within what guidelines are we going to operate? Um, like you mentioned, the the flags with uh, you know <laughs> taking certain projects on. Um, in the book, I talk about this idea of sweet spot clients, and the idea being is that you know ultimately we get to a place where we only work with the people and the, and that we want to work with, and the types of clients that we want to work with. And so the the formula for intentionality it helps us as we think about the question of why am I freelancing, you know where am I going with this, how am I going to go about it, and what the reality is, is most of us jump into freelancing. Um, 
without thinking through those things. We just do it. Or we might think we might have answers to some of these, but we've never really articulated it or wrote, written it down or, or, or verbally shared it with someone. So the idea with the book is if that's you, you know, go back and really just take a moment to, to write the answers to these questions, to figure out um, your motivations, and it'll help you take uh, your, your, uh, your freelancing to the next level. So hmm. is that, is there much overlap between that? And uh, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with um, Simon Sinek start with why I, I always found his stuff to be more applicable to like a large product business. You know, he's always talking about Apple or Nike or something like that. Yeah. Is it, I mean, do you feel like there's some, if, you know, if people are struggling, cause I think, cause I agree with what vision get very, they're very tangled because we mm -hmm. use them synonymously in language all the time, even though when you really think about them, they're, they're closely related, but as you just described, they are not the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard for people to kind of untangle those words in their mind. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm looking for sort of a, a life preserver for people who are listening. If they've, if they've listened to Simon Sinek, start with why stuff, I think there's some parallels there, but if not, correct me. Yeah. And I would say to some degree there, there's, some influence uh, by him specifically in, in terms of talking about purpose, uh, which I do a little bit more in depth in the book. I think the the, the reason for the formula for intentionality that I think the uh, why I en en ended up creating it originally is because I remember when I was, uh, you know, I uh, before I was freelancing, which I started in 2014, so I've been doing a little bit over three years now. Um, and I did a little bit before our, uh, I actually started a marketing company, and I did that from 2007 to 2014. And I freelanced a little bit before that. But when I had my company and, and uh, was trying to figure out some of these types of questions, and I, and I have experiences very similar to some of which Simon Sinek talks about and, and, and when he pivoted in, in his career. But I went online and I did a lot of research, research and I said, what's purpose, what's mission, what's vision, and what's the difference between them? <laughs> and there was you know, just a broad, kind of like we talked about freelancing, there was a broad range of definitions and applications. And what I wanted to do is kind of take all of these pieces and go, here's how the puzzle fits together. And this formula is a way to see it, because I'm, I'm verbally describing it, but when you see it, it's, it's actually laid out in a formula that says mm. this plus this equals this. And so purpose plus mission equals vision. And, you, and that's contained within the guidelines. So the formula for, my, for intentionality is my attempt to sort of harness these different variables in a way that makes sense together. Uh, as a, instead of individual notes in a song, that it's it's a symphony of 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 music. So does that make sense? It does. I'm sure it's. I'm sure people are confused by this, but it's worth. <laughs> um, it's just confusing stuff. Because yeah. Because it's so you're. Uh, it's so close and it's so big picture. It's so high level, but it's worth. It's worth, dear listener. It's worth really thinking about and trying to understand the difference between those three things and then the over encompassing values. I think the values thing is. In, unless you're in the survivor stage, the values thing I, I find people don't have the hardest time with because they know what things, you know, you know, because whether they were freelancing or not, they probably their values aren't going to change. Uh, it, I mean, I, I think, but uh, the the purpose and mission and vision I think are can be super confusing. So it's worth really uh, thinking about that and seeing if you can figure out, you know, what's the reason you get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, it's, I when I work with people, I I can talk to them for an hour and never find an answer to that question. And I, I, I find it hard to believe that any living person could not have one. Yeah, but it's very hard to find it sometimes. And yeah. without that, 
you, I, I can't, I literally can't work with someone who can't find that. And if we can't find that, I, I'm, I'm not the right person for them. It's, it's, yeah. it's frustrating sometimes. Yeah. And I can definitely relate during, with, with our marketing company, we, we worked with a lot of companies and both a fulfillment standpoint, but also in a consulting uh, capacity. And what we would find is, and, and we went through this ourselves, so it was not unusual, but we would work with company owners and we would say, well, you know, what's the purpose of, of this marketing campaign or this website? What are you trying to accomplish? Which ultimately would come down to the organization's purpose, right? Which in a lot of cases with the small business, it comes down to the personal, the owner's, you know, his or hers personal purpose, right? right. <laughs> and so, what happens is there there tends to be like if those aren't those aren't answered there's a bit of a black hole and 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 it's always sort of zapping the energy and and there's not able to make we're not able to make any meaningful progress so it becomes very challenging and we we face that frustrations so we ended up working with clients to try and help them discover that but a lot of the times you know they didn't want to do that um i remember we had one client or i was a prospect actually at the time and they, and they came to us and and this was their metaphor that he, after we talked with him and, and discussed, uh, you know, we, we really need to work on, we didn't call it the formula for intentionality, but we really need to work on these pieces and we're going to start there. And he said, so what you're telling me is I want to build this wall. And before I build the wall, I need to know why I'm building the wall. Is that correct? And we said, yes, we, you need to know why you're building this wall. And he said, I don't want to do that right now. I just want to build the wall. And he was very upfront. It was it was kind of uh, refreshing to hear that, because <laughs> um, mm -hmm. most people aren't that uh, you know in your face about it. But that's kind of the reality: is a majority of of people they just want to build the wall. They don't really want to ask the question why they're building the wall. <laughs> yes, and this gets into uh, my, my background is is strongly in pricing. And if I get someone like that, and there's tons of them, yeah. they're really just looking for a pair of hands to build the wall, and they mm -hmm. don't really want anyone questioning their decision to build the wall. Or they're not in a position to even answer the question because they're, you know, someone who's just in procurement who's been tasked with getting someone who can build walls. Yeah. So, the, yeah, I will. And, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to well, say that's say that's fine if you just are looking for. Yeah, that's fine, but it's not super high value, so it's hard to, you know, to get into my shtick about hourly billing and value pricing and all that stuff. It's tough when when someone is not willing to question the why, build the wall. Uh, they're not an ideal client for me, and I would probably send them to someone else. Yeah, and and it's interesting that you say that. So we that was similar to what we did um, in in our in a marketing company. Um, but interesting enough, I've actually kind of I guess come across a little secret here in this sense is some of those people because um, I've worked with some of those types of people as a freelancer now, um, where they just want to build the wall. And what I've realized is. Ideally, you know, like we talk about the formula for intentionality, you know, ideally, before we even start freelancing, we, we figure that out, right? But the reality is that doesn't always happen. And what I've learned with a lot of uh, the clients I've worked with in the last several years is some of them do just want to build a wall. But that kind of goes to my personal motivation is, as I, I know, I know that if I can work alongside them and they can help them grow their business, I will have the opportunities to ask those why questions and we'll be able to dig into those. And so I've had clients where we come into that more of that sort of fulfillment type of engagement and it becomes a lot more than that, becomes more meaningful. And I'm actually I'm able to, because I built trust and rapport with them, to go, okay, we really need to answer this question. Or they hit, or they hit a circumstance and they go, man, you know, they don't know how to respond. And so they look to me as the, the advisor and I said, here's what we need to do. And now I've got this leverage of, 
the circumstance to say we need to we need to do this thing I've been talking about for three years. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so there is kind of yeah. an interesting piece of that puzzle, but it's a very challenging dynamic to work through. Um, so it's kind of it's been a unique target um, in terms of some of the clients I've worked with, where I've been able to navigate those two pieces of the puzzle um, mm-hmm. to help people become more intentional with their businesses. So, okay, so can we tie this back to? the stage that we're at, I think this, this came out of the dreamer stage. Is that right? Or as a visionary? Yeah. Or, or yes. We? We're talking about the formula for intentionality, um, mm-hmm. which comes out of there. There's a little piece of, uh, the puzzle that that's interesting in terms of the mission. So, and when it comes to mission, that's our, how, it's how we're going to go about freelancing, how we're going to work with our clients. And I actually dive in a little bit deeper into the idea of mission. Um, you know, mission is, uh, it's specific to goals and actions. It's strategy. Um, and so there's mm-hmm. these three ingredients of, of what I call mission. And, you know, when I started freelancing, so this is kind of the visionary stage is, you know, I've launched into freelancing. I've, I've come, come up with these intentions of how I'm going to go about doing that and I'm essentially testing it out. Is this going to work or not? And when I started freelancing in 2014, I really came out or came at it with a couple different mindsets that I was going to approach this. Um, I was going to, the clients that I had, I was going to take care of them. I was going to serve them well. I was going to make sure the projects got done. And I just wanted to um, have a positive and impact, positive impact on their business and on our, in, in our relationship. And I was trusting that by doing a good job, I would end up, they would end up continuing to hire me and they would end up referring me out, which is what happened. I also focused on, um, just being active online, I was blogging, I was active on social media, I was, and then I was meeting with people that I knew. And, and over time, those relationships would um, develop into to actual work or referrals. So these were a couple strategies that I went about my freelancing work as part of that sort of discovery process. And, um, and so the strategy, you know, we can just start freelancing, so to speak, but if we don't go into it with the strategy, we're, we're putting, you know, setting ourselves up for failure. So when we think about the visionary stage, which is the third of the four stages, you know, the idea is, you know, we've got that purpose. We've got that reason we're motivated, we're excited. And that energy is a bit of a, it's a bit of an adrenaline kick. It's like, this is new. There's novelty to it. I'm going to go out and do it. And we, we hit the ground running and we probably have a lot of success right away. But once we run out of energy and the passion fades and the emotions uh, dwindle, now we're, we still have to do the work. We still have to move forward. We still have to take care of our clients, um, the happy ones and the upset ones, the projects that go well, the ones that don't. And as a visionary, we don't, we don't necessarily like that. We don't necessarily want to do that. And so a visionary's tendency will, will then be to get distracted. Um, okay, and they, I might st- start thinking, well, I need to work on this client's website. But I'm going to go watch this Netflix show instead, or I'm going to go to this event instead. Like we find excuses not to do our work. (laughs) And that tends to be the distractions of the visionary is let me go do something new. Let me this not this idea of novelty and and the struggle to sort of do the mundane uh, things that just aren't as exciting or or sexy. (laughs) Yeah, I see a parallel to this. I don't know if it's the same thing you're thinking of, but I see definite parallel where where people who in the sort of newer stages or they're earlier in their career, they're super focused on the craft that they, the, the activities that they engage in. So it might yeah. be JavaScript, it might be design, their t- typography, they're super into it. Yeah. And 
uh, come to find out after the sugar rush is over and they have, you know, some, maybe some upset clients or maybe they go through a famine phase and they're not super happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, I need to run a business. Yeah. I'm not a typographer anymore. That's a thing <laughs> I do. It's a, it's a deliverable that I create and it has an effect on businesses that is predictable. Yeah. But I still have to do, you know, 45 things every week that have nothing to do with my craft and I have everything yeah. to do with running a business. And exactly. it sounds like the, the, the visionary is kind of right in that, the, the sort of getting ground in between those, the, the rock and the hard place there. Yeah. And I think there's a natural, I mean, I'm, I, I've done a lot in the last uh, 12 years here. I've been in Atlanta and, and, and in a lot of ways it's been an exploration of different channels and crafts and business models and approaches. And I think there's a healthy amount of that sort of discovery. But when you're leading or running a business, it can be problematic. And so a visionary, what will happen is um, there's inconsistency uh, across the board. So for example, um, they might have five clients and they, they're billing them in five different ways because <laughs> each time they got the new client, they came up with a new way to do it. So That's they a did great the- example. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're billing five different ways at five different prices and it's exhausting. Like it's just very hard to do five different things. So from a practical standpoint and, um, it, you know, it's kind of a, maybe in a more cliche sense, if you go to an artist's desk, you know, you got charcoal on one side and paint in the next, and then you got pencils and crayons and it's like they're, they're, they've got all these different mediums, but they're, they're not necessarily picking one and really mastering it and going deep with it. So that would be an example. I think, um, in our marketing business, we really, we suffered this quite a bit in the sense that we started out, um, producing videos. So we, um, my background was kind of in animation and video production. And so that's where I started the business. But after I would get bored of it, then a client would happen to come up and say, Hey, do you build websites? Hey, do you do marketing? Hey, do you do SEO? And it was like, no, but I would love to learn it. And if you're willing to pay me, then that's great. But what happens is now we're doing 20 things, but there's not enough. uh, It's very difficult to do that amount of stuff unless there's enough volume in terms of the number of clients and the amount of money coming in to really make that work. And so we ended up stretching ourselves doing all these different things. Um, Not, not very well, but um, it, the idea, you know, Jim Collins makes the, the comment, mediocrity is the sign of chronic inconsistency. And I think that would be a phrase that would, that, that would definitely just really define the visionary. I completely agree with that. Just from my own personal experience running a business, there comes a point where, just as Jonathan pointed out, when you're starting out, you're very, very focused on the craft. But as you grow more experience with the craft, you could start to get burnt out on the actual nuts and bolts of doing yeah. the thing. If you sell the websites, it's like, great, yet another website. And I think there's a push, a natural push-pull there, like uh, uh, the visionary going off and doing other things that may not be related to the core business. That almost parallels the ideation concept you talk about in Path yeah. of the Freelancer, where if you aren't exposing yourself to, say, six different ways of billing or fulfilling on a service or service offerings – you don't discover what comes next, but it needs to be in balance with what you're currently doing. It needs to be, yeah. you need your existing system systematized and uh, turned into procedures to have that success. Yeah, and that's a good point. I'm, uh, uh, I think a practical example for me is I'm currently doing a, a weekday blogging challenge where I'm blogging every single weekday. And I was doing monthly, and then in the beginning of August, I started this. And historically, what would have happened for me is I would have gotten so engulfed in this blogging challenge, I would have neglected my freelancing work, mm-hmm. and it would have it would have decayed. <laughs> 
Um, but I've been very intentional about, okay, I my primary income source is my freelancing work, so it's number one, and I have to do this weekday blogging challenge around that. And mm-hmm. um, and it's very it's, it requires a lot of discipline for me to do that. Um, and a lot, and a lot of times in the past, I didn't do that. And, uh, in fact, it, you know, there's times in the business where we would pursue these different, um, service offerings and they wouldn't pan out the way we wanted them to. And we'd come back to our core offering and there were, mm-hmm. there were crickets. There was no one around. And so we had to rebuild the business like over and over again because of these different pathways we got distracted by. <laughs> So, so we've talked a bunch about these different pathways, and I'm in complete agreement about there being distraction there, but I think you also very eloquently spell out the benefit of ongoing client engagements in Path yes. of the Freelancer. Uh, tell me a bit about the reconciliation between those two. So between um, like making sure that we, we have ongoing clients, but we're also exploring, I, I guess, is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah so we want ongoing clients because of the continual income, we want yeah. to be exploring, I guess, new problems with them since we won't be just solving the same problem again and again. Okay. But yes. we don't want to get too distracted and suddenly a client says, hey, we love the work you did on SEO. By the way, do you do print design? And we decide to go learn Illustrator. So balancing the client's requests as we have a continual engagement versus our need to stay focused and not too visionary. This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 40 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash freelancershow. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, the type of work we do is probably going to play a role in this and, and it could be more challenging for others than than not. So I tend to, in a lot of the work I do, I'm consulting, I'm doing project management. So there's this idea in the book I called SOFI, which is essentially four letters, S-O-F-I, and it stands for Seeking Opportunities for Improvement. Seeking Opportunities for Improvement. And so what I'm doing is uh, whenever I'm working with a client, I'm constantly capturing ideas and and feedback while I'm working on the project. So let's say they, they brought me in um, to help set up some HubSpot automation, for example. But while I'm in there, I noticed that four of their emails are just, they look terrible, the content's poorly written. So I'm going to note those four things. So what I'm doing is I'm creating value because I'm pointing out, I'm finding these opportunities for improvement. But I'm also creating opportunities for me to work on these later. Mm-hmm. And so in some of the cases, I may not be the technical person to do the thing. Um, so I have other freelancers that will come on board um, that I'll you know, have my clients work with to do the copywriting or graphic designer or whatever it might be. So I'm constantly looking for those. I'm being proactive, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean I'm always doing it. And then a lot of the, and then there are times when I do come across something that um, that is in my alley and, and something that I sort of maintain or, or, or manage well. And those would be things I do. But I think having those types of eyes or that mindset, that SoFi mindset is, is critical. So mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the things that comes to my mind when I think about these ongoing engagements. 
And uh, I think there's sort of two approaches in, in the sense that I'm always looking for new opportunities because there's always something that can be improved mm-hmm. um, within, within my area. The other uh, is the types of engagements that are, are ongoing in, in nature. So in terms with SEO, for example, you know, it's, uh, it's always changing. They're changing the algorithms. We're creating new content. We've got to figure out how to harmonize the two. Um, you know, as soon as we stop doing it, someone else is going to one-up us. So it's not mm-hmm. something that we can just stop. So there's also these types of services that we can offer that have an inclination towards that ongoing engagement. Does that make sense? Completely, completely. I love that distinction there. Yeah. So does, uh, does that answer your question well? <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, no, no. Great, great answer. Yeah. And one of the, the book, in the book, I actually have a chapter that's specifically geared towards, okay, how do, how do we take our active clients because I think this is one of the low-hanging fruits that most, at least in my my experience, both with myself and and customers, that is a low-hanging fruit, but it's rarely tapped into, is is really taking our active clients and maximizing them. I kind of imagine like they're a sponge, right? And we're so we're sort of um, wringing out the water, and a lot of us just do a quick squeeze. We get the little bit of water that comes out, and then we're gone. Mm-hmm. But what I realized is, you know, clients, you know, there can be an actual reservoir or a well of an ongoing engagement where we're continuing to, to provide value and receive, um, you know, compensation for that value. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I know in my history, a lot of times what I was doing, I was always looking for the next client, the new client. And I, once I was finished with the project with the existing client, um, you know, I was, I was moving on to the next. And the problem with that is it's the harder road. It takes mm-hmm. more energy to find a new client than it is to get a new project with an existing client. Entirely, completely agreed. Where would you say referrals fall in on that spectrum? So there are three uh, types of referrals that I define. One is uh, essentially a client referral, and that would be a, a raving fan. They love the work. They tell their their friends about it, and then those companies reach out, you know, to me, and 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 I work with them. The second would be a rainmaker. And a rainmaker would be someone that's they're not necessarily a client or they may not even have worked with us, but they send people our way because we take care of the people they send our way <laughs> and they trust us. And uh, so I ended up uh, so I've ended, I mentioned HubSpot earlier. Um, I ended up having a client several years ago that uh, reached out to me and said, "Hey, I need some marketing help. You know, really communicating to my audience, and um, also need some help with setting up some systems in my business to communicate with with our with our actual customers." And um, and so he said, well, "We're using HubSpot. I've used it. And I hadn't used it at the time. I'd use other tools like it, but I was unfamiliar with it. So I jumped in. I learned the program, learned how the system worked, and we ended up doing some really cool stuff." Well, HubSpot ended up learning about a lot of the things that we were doing, some of the automation in the systems and, and the integrations we were creating. And they they heard about it and they started referring people to me. They said, Wonderful. can you help this person do this thing? And honestly, I didn't even know who these people were. So I I like to thank people when they when they send someone my way. So I would find out who referred them and then I would go find them like on LinkedIn and, and I would reach out to them. So it was kind of an effort, but it just demonstrated that these were people that were several sort of connections away that didn't even know me, but I somehow, through just doing excellent work, got their attention. Mm-hmm. And so that's the Rainmakers. And then the third would be um, uh, friends and family, kind of our community. These are people that are going to refer to us because they care about us, they like us, um, not not out of merit. Like where the other two are going to be merit 
uh, you know, where we're doing something to prove our worth. The friends and family are likely to to send people to us just because of the relationship. And we don't want to take that for advantage, and we want to make sure we steward that well. Um, but those are the three, uh, essentially as a freelancer, and even as a company too, but as a freelancer, we can't, we really can't do this on our own. We need help. We need community. And if we build a community around us that's sending work our way, uh, we're really build, building a virtual sales team, you know. Mm-hmm. And as a freelancer, it doesn't take a whole lot to to build a good big book of business and to be financially successful. It really doesn't. So, no, completely agreed. And I think your sections on uh, I'm just paging through the book as I say, the sales is a predictable process, and yeah. uh, we built a team of advocates. Checkpoint three essential reading for any freelancer. You break down in such a simple way, just that transition from, hey, you need X interactions with this number of strangers to make meaningful contacts. You need uh, interactions with contacts and that turns into clients. Every freelancer should understand that system because honestly, it is a numbers game and it's about building those relationships and moving those relationships to a higher intensity and becoming a paying relationship with that person. Exactly. And I actually remember, um, I think one of the benefits that in terms of writing this book and just freelancing, the reason I've been able to be so successful so quickly is because I ran a business, I knew what it took to run a business. And I took those business insights and I applied them to my freelancing. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of freelancers don't think that way. It just doesn't make, doesn't make, make logical sense to do that. But if you can operate your business, even though it's a business of one, if we can operate it like a business with systems and processes, it, it changes the game. Mm-hmm. And when I remember talking to a freelancer, it was, it was a photographer and he, and I, he was kind of struggling and he wanted to make more money. And I, all I did is I simply took him through process. I said, how much money do you want to make? Mm-hmm. He said, well, X, you know, he gave me a number and I said, well, how many, uh, what's your average, um, income per client? So he told me, and well, I said, if, if you want to earn that amount, then this, you need these um, number of clients. So what does it take to get those number of clients? Well, we need to have these number of meetings, these number of interactions, these number of leads from the website, whatever it was. And we simply created a funnel. And then what, what ended up happening in his case was it wasn't a matter of him not um, knowing that, although that was a revelation to him. It was that, okay, now that he knew it, he wasn't able to act on it. And, and that's kind of the difference between the visionary and the achievers. The achiever would, 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 they would get that and they would run with it and, and very quickly become successful, whereas the visionary would almost become paralyzed by it. Does that make sense? Completely, completely. Yeah. No, and I love the way you break it down. It's the same process I go through with all of my coaching students. If yeah. we come in saying like, hey, we want to make $100,000 a year and an average project for me is $5,000, we could just math our way down to, well, we need X projects in this year. And then back our way into, well, if we need that many clients, exactly like you said, we need to talk to this many contacts. And then it just becomes like, okay, every week, talk to five people, talk to 10 people, see what starts happening. Maybe you underestimated your conversion numbers and you get there faster. Maybe you overestimated and it will take a little longer. But just having that step-by-step process is invaluable. Yeah, and I agree. And um, when I, in the second chapter, when I talk about like our position, you know, how we're positioning ourselves and, and, uh, the type of services we're going to offer, you know, part of the beginning of that chapter is defining our annual income. How mm-hmm. much money do I want to make per year? And what was interesting, uh, for me is as soon as I did that, um, how quickly I got there. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and there's been other pieces in the chapter. I also talk about creating a financial buffer. I call it the water tower. Um, and, and in the, in the chapter, I talk about having a $15,000 reserve of cash. Um, it took me about a year to get there, but I, but it, 
you know, it did it. <laughs> and so these, when it, when we define it, when we write it down, and when we go after it, it really doesn't take that long to get there, um, and in a surprising fashion as well. <laughs> no, I completely agree, and it is amazing once we just set down what our goals are for our business, just writing them down. Hey, over the next year, I want to achieve these twelve things. Yeah. We find ourselves easily crossing them off because we've now said, hey, this is what I want to do. And we start seeing those opportunities in front of us. Exactly. And I think that's probably where the, the transition from the visionary to the achiever starts to come in is we do start hitting these checkpoints and we start hitting these success points. Um, but what I look at when I think about these eight achievements that, that, are, that every freelancer has to sustain, I think of them like spinning plates. You know, we get one up, we get two up, we get three up, we get four up. It's kind of like juggling. Right. Mm -hmm. It's easier with a few, but as you start, as we start adding more and more, it gets more complex and challenging. And I think that's where the, the balance comes in is figuring out how do I maintain that balance now that I'm trying to run this entire business and all of these pieces at once. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it does create a, a kind of a creative um, problem solving mindset to get creative and how I go about maybe automating certain things or or setting certain things up, um, mm -hmm. which is which is super helpful. Um, so I think at the same time, you know, it's also understanding, you know, it does get more challenging the further we go, but we're also more conditioned, we're more experienced, and I think we're more equipped to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree. I mean, it's it's easy to look at somebody who has spent years and years building a freelancing business and say, oh my gosh, I need to do all of those things. I don't even know how. Yeah. But the truth is, it's step by step. It's piece by piece. It's achievement by achievement. And it's not a great in the next month to do all of these big things. It's over the next few years, as you build a business around you, these are the major milestones you need to be working towards. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's also, um, and, and, you know, in the, in the achiever stage, I talk about the idea of committing to reality. <laughs> there is some unpleasant realities that come up. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, client doesn't pay me. Okay. So I think a lot of times we can get stuck on that. We get, or we get afraid of it or when it happens, we kind of get stuck on it. We hold on to it and we try and get that money no matter what and end up like distracted just by trying to do that. <laughs> but if we instead go, you know what, that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So why don't I create the financial margin? So when those things happen, it doesn't affect me in a negative way. And it's a different way of thinking about it than going, okay, when this happens, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give it to that person. Uh, you know, it's a very different mindset. Um, right. And not that we shouldn't pursue um, those those things in a appropriate and healthy way. But but my sort of intent is, you know, things are going to happen. I'm going to plan for them. And if it happens, I'm, I'm covered. If it doesn't, then I've got a surplus. That's the I idea. Mean, I mean, that's honestly the best and the most realistic way to plan for it. There's going to be times when a client just can't pay. Client goes bankrupt. You aren't yeah. going to see any of that money. So you better have that cushion, that buffer, and that uh, uh, knowledge that it might happen. Exactly. And in fact, I did have a client that that, that happened, and Ooh. and they owed me uh, $2,000. And um, he ended up actually paying me uh, personally $1,000 of the, of the two, and I ended up forgiving the, the other half. But um, I wasn't even expecting the $1,000. But um, And there was actually, in that situation, there was a few flags that I saw that I, I, I should have leaned into and addressed earlier, because I could have just prevented myself from being in that position. Um, but I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't proactive in that, in that moment, unfortunately. So, so right. yeah, it ha yeah. So even, you know, how, I mean, you, you guys have all been doing it for a while, but no matter how experienced we are, I mean, we're still going to make mistakes and, and have issues along the way. And I think the idea is just to give us enough margin that those mistakes aren't critical or fatal. Completely agreed. You mentioned uh, uh, flags that had come up. I'm curious, what are the flags broad scope or big picture that you look 
for when you're talking with a new prospect or a client to uh, weed them out? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, um, I, you know, I'm currently in this, uh, this place where I'm, I'm not taking on new clients or at least not normally, <laughs> although a few mm-hmm. seem to weasel their way in. Um, I've just, uh, I haven't had capacity. So what I've been doing is I've actually been pulling in, uh, you know, re- referring them to, to other freelancers, which has been great. Mm-hmm. But I think some of the flags are, um, I, you know, in terms of what I call the sweet spot client, you know, what I'm looking for is somebody that there's some kind of a value there. There's a relational value um, or there's a value in the type of business they're in. Um, there's something that that's kind of uh, more meaningful than just we're just going to work together. Right. And I think it's different for different people. So sometimes I've had the, like I've got one client where I'm working with uh, who's a friend and um, we've been friends for over a decade and, and always had one of the opportunity to work together. And now we get to do that. So it's kind of a neat. But there was a concern that, hey, you know, we're going to work together. We don't want our friendship to end as a result of working together. So before we started working together, we had some frank conversations about, you know, what are expectations and what happens in these worst case scenarios and how do you respond and and how are we going to, you know, we we sort of simulated, you know, the breakup before it happened. And Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, just by doing that, I think it's prevented any of it from even being an issue. So that was, you know, one flag is, you know, just uh, not wanting to, to ruin the relationship. I think there's an alignment flag. Mm-hmm. There's sort of um, just the way that uh, I approach something. So I have a I have one client where, like, it was is I it was funny. We when we a lot of the things and the phrases and the ways that this client approaches things. Uh, it's a, a female uh, business leader. Um, we we it's like we we're talking the same language, but we we didn't even know each other. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden we came together, and it's like I'm reading stuff on their site, and like, oh, that's how I say that. That's how I do that. And there was almost like this this perfect uh, alignment even before we started working together. And and so a lot of the stuff I do, it's it's just easy because we're we're already in that same hemisphere, talking the same language. So if I'm coming across a client where it's kind of the opposite of that, where it's like, well, the way that you go about things, the way that you build systems, the way that you approach stuff, you know, it just it clashes with with my style, with my approach. And mm-hmm. sometimes there can be a little bit of that or a combination of that. But if it's just so polar opposite, it just becomes very draining. Mm-hmm. And so I have a harder time with those clients. And so um, I can't always know, you know, ahead of time. So I've actually developed this system. I call it the batch action management system. And what I do is I actually, I bill hourly. So my hourly rates, it's now $90 an hour. And I bill in batches of 10 hours. So they're at $900 increments. And I do these batches where I do these communication updates and um, along along the way and at the end of the batch. And the idea when I'm starting with a client is at the end of the batch, you know, we're going to work together for these 10 hours and we're going to tackle these different projects that have come up. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to get a chance to work with each other and see what that's like and whether we want to continue doing that or not. And it acts as an on and an off ramp for either of us to do that or pause it or whatnot. And um, and so I go into a lot of my engagements, trying to test them out, um, you know, explore it before I begin working with them. But I've actually built an intentional system that kind of is designed to surface issues and address these kind of things pretty quickly in the engagement, so it doesn't get too far down the road and we realize it's not going to work. 
No, that's perfect. I've definitely been in the experience of and seen many freelancing friends been in the experience of signing on to a hundred or 200 hour project and 20 hours in they're like, I don't really <laughs> feel this. And yeah, it can be straining. And I think the, the batch, batch action system you developed here really helps to minimize the risk on your side and the client side really, like you said, acting as an on ramp for the engagement and then an off ramp if it's not a good fit, protecting exactly. both people. Yeah. And then, and then the other thing I do is, uh, in addition to like, so I, the sweet spot client talked about there being something of value that attracts us to each other, but also I talk about community, how's their communication and how are they paying? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Does this client pay me on time? Are they paying me early? Are they paying me late? Am I always having to follow up? Um, are they in terms of communication? Am I always having to track them down? I remember I had one client, um, I worked with and like, I literally couldn't make any progress unless I physically went into their office and Ooh. like, like it was just challenging. They wouldn't reply to things. It was, it was very hard. So, um, the idea of kind of that being one of my checkpoints is if you can, I don't really, you know, if you're late or you can't get to something, but you at least tell me I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. But if I'm having to email you like and call you, you know, over the course of several weeks and you're not replying, like that's a problem, <laughs> you know? Right. So communication, um, compensation, and and then uh, some sort of value when when those three align that's what i call the sweet spot client that, that's perfect uh i have a couple questions about your daily blogging uh, uh practice right now yeah. if that's yeah, okay ahead. yeah definitely. Uh, i write a daily newsletter jonathan and philip both write daily newsletters uh, i'm curious what the experience has been like to you getting started and continuing forward with it yeah yeah so um so I've been, uh, I, I guess I've been writing for a little while now, um, and I, I started writing in Evernote just privately, journaling and personal things in 2010. And I did that for several years, and then in 2014, when I right before I launched into freelancing, when I ended uh, the marketing company, I wasn't sure what I was going to do next, but I knew that I needed to connect with community, and I knew blogging was a way to do that. <laughs> Uh, one of the things I looked back, I said, if there was one thing I wish I would have started 10, 10 years ago, which would have been uh, 2005, 2004, um, mm -hmm. was uh, blogging. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, doing that over time, even if I could have only done it like once a quarter, but if I had made it a priority and done it, I think it would have just given me such a, launch, a launching point from mm -hmm. whatever I was going to do next. Um, I've started a lot of things over the years. I've been very much a visionary, you know, <laughs> and um and I've always had to start over, and I kind of was tired of starting over. <laughs> so that was sort of the drive of, of wanting to, to go back 10 years and, and start blogging. So I started, started blogging in 2014 and, and uh, doing it weekly. And then as my freelancing workload increased, um, it, uh, it really shifted to, to monthly. Mm -hmm. and, and, then, um, and, some, and then I would sort of do random blog posts. But in 2015, I started writing um, Path of the Freelancer, and really most of 2016. And what I found was I, I recently looked at my uh, my blogging for 2016. I thought, well, since I wrote this book, um, and it took me 18 months to go through the whole process, um, I thought I would actually have less blogs. But what I found is I actually have, uh, in 2016, I had the most number of blogs um, compared to 2014 and 15. So mm -hmm. while I was writing, because of, I guess, the momentum and the practice and the and the sort of the endurance, I actually pumped out more blogs, which was an interesting find. So this, um, so I ended up publishing the book, getting it out there in April of this year. 
And in August, um, I had a friend who's also a freelancer, and the way that his business, he's a, he's a coach, he, had, he uses a, uh, improv improvisation and theater um, mm-hmm. with his business clients to kind of leverage the, the techniques and, and styles of that craft into businesses. Um, so it's pretty neat uh, context. But anyways, he was uh, um, you know, facing the, this very seasonal business where the, the corporations will hire this company to do different work, but then it gets very quiet for months at a time. And I said, why don't you, know, why don't you start blogging during that time as a way to get yourself out there. Um, he hadn't blogged yet and, um, and start building your business up and building, um, you know, your, your personal brand. And, and, uh, and since you have this downtime, it'd be the perfect time to start and I'll go ahead and do it with you. I'm, since I'm blogging like a few times a month at the most, um, I, I'll go ahead and ramp up my efforts and, and blog each day. And, uh, so beginning of August, we started together and, uh, every weekday, uh, my my intent was to do weekdays, so I'd have the weekends to sort of as a break. <laughs> and uh, actually, I developed a system. Um, I call it the, my writing garden. <laughs> and the idea being that I, I use Evernote, and I have these different folders. In the book, I talk about this concept called IDEMA, which is mm-hmm. it's an acronym. It stands for Ideation, Discovery, Execute, Maintain, and then Audit. And it's these five stages. So I created these folders in my um, – and I've got a blog on, on my – site that I can share with you. But essentially, I got these folders and I, I'm constantly plugging into the ideas, uh, ideation folder, new ideas I have for blogs. Mm-hmm. And then I'm cultivating and I'm developing and maturing these different posts and moving them through the cycle to the, the execute stage where I'm eventually publishing it and it's maintaining it. And so I've got this pipeline of content that I'm essentially managing and creating. And, and now that I'm doing it more often, I'm able to really get that going. Uh, but at the same time, posting every weekday means I've got to post a lot of content. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's been challenging and and pushing me to grow. And uh, you know the way that I look at my personal site is it's an incubator for ideas and it's a way for me to explore different things. Um, I have mm-hmm. you know uh, I, I have ambitions to write other books, mm-hmm. but before I do, I could write some blog posts on that and see how it plays out and see if it's compelling and see what kind of feedback I get. So th- that's kind of a few a little bit of history and and then what I'm doing. And really my goal for doing it was to build out my personal brand and to get more of an online presence. Um, so as I go down this road of sharing ideas and, and, um, and concepts and stories, you know, I've got a way to sort of get that out there and, and get more eyes on, on the things that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, cause I do freelance full time and it takes a lot of my time as you can imagine. And so Building a, this online brand will allow me to take steps towards creating um, some online products and things like in that in that nature. So, yeah, does that make sense? <laughs> it does. No, yeah. no, great, great answer. Uh, one, one last question for me, just about the daily blogging and the email, and then let's move into picks. Uh, I'm yeah. curious, have you been emailing the daily blog posts out to your list, and if so, what's the response been? And if not, tell me a little about that decision. Yeah, so I use Mailchimp, and I have an RSS feed from my blog that that sums it out as a week. Uh, every Sunday, it sends out all the blog posts. Now, I originally oh, set that sent that up, where so it's automated. Um, so I'd set that up originally because I was posting around once a week. Now that I'm actually doing dailies, um, you know those those uh, Sunday emails are pretty lengthy. <laughs> So if I'm doing like five posts and they're around a thousand words each, I mean it's five thousand word email. So I'm kind of exploring some some ideas on how I'll do that. But 
Um, but I send that out. I've also installed a, there's a tool called push crew for browser mm -hmm. notifications. And so I'm kind of exploring that. I've also an RSS feed and then I share the articles on social media. So I'm experimenting with a lot of different ideas and seeing what's working, what's not, and, uh, and trying to just learn and, and grow through that process. That's awesome. No, I, I love the approach you're taking to all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I cool. Guess, what else? Uh, uh, let's move into picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now, and it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Jonathan, uh, uh, would you like to lead us in picks? Sure, yes. Uh, I've got, uh, on the topic of developing a daily habit, I recently installed an app on my trusty iPhone called Productive that is kind of like a recurring to-do list. So I put a bunch of things in it that... I know I should do every day and that really there's no way to get the benefit of without doing every day. Things like drinking more water and practicing my karate defenses and doing outreach to clients. So a mix of personal and business things that if you do not do every day, you will not, there's just no way to cram for the exam. You know, you have to do these things every day. Yeah. And I know I need to do them, but the, the benefits of them are so pushed off in the future. They're so sort of hazy and distant that, that it's tough to stay motivated. It's easy to be like, yeah, I know I should go floss right now, but you know, I just am really tired. So I'll do it, do it tomorrow. And you know, tomorrow turns into next month, turns into <laughs> the dentist being like, you know, you really should be flossing more. <laughs> so anyway, so I added these things to this app and it's, what it ends up doing for me, I'm sure this is highly personal, but what it does for me is it creates an immediate reward for doing the things. I'm, yeah. I'm a huge fan of crossing things off a to-do list. But even bigger than that, you once you've got a week under your belt, you'll do almost anything to not break the chain. Yeah. So yeah. you get these streaks going. I've been I've gone into public restrooms and drunk water out of the sink to not <laughs> To not miss, to not break my drink more water streak, which is, yeah. I mean, maybe that's not as shocking to the listener as it is to me, but I typically never, ever, ever even drink the water. I, I've lived in the, <laughs> my same house for 10 years and I've literally never drunk out of the sink in my own house until yeah. I started doing this. That's so it, it turns it, it, for me, it is an extremely powerful motivator and it, it's unbelievable even in a, you know, a couple of weeks to see even in a couple of weeks, some of those hazy long-term goals already start to deliver benefits. So 
Yeah. Uh, the app, the app is called productive, which is tough to Google for, but we'll put uh, a link in the show notes for that. And then the other thing that I want to remind people of, I've talked about it before, uh, is a, a new free email campaign that I have a free email course that has the most longest complicated unwieldy name of all time, which is, uh, how to build your first productized Oh, geez, now I even forgot productized service. I forgot my own URL. How, <laughs> how to build your first productized service.com. <laughs> it doesn't even fit on my registrar page. It, it like cuts off. Anyway, if you go to that, uh, if you go to that URL, you will, you can sign up to get an email course that over the course of seven days will explain how to kind of package up and systemize a, uh, a service that you currently offer so that you can kind of leverage that you can kind of achieve the benefits of having a, a product that you can, you know, publish online at a given price that you can uh, get better at the delivery. You can optimize the delivery and the value of the service and you get a lot of, um, leverage out of what normally would have been a high touch service, perhaps that you didn't even charge for before. Yeah. So, uh, people should check that out if they are looking for a way to kind of maximize or at least offer an alternate um, solution for for clients to engage, uh, an alternate way for clients to engage with them that's very profitable and repeatable. Cool. Uh, that's it for me. Philip, are you still there? Hey, I'm in lurk mode hey. today. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lifestyle pick today. Uh, I've been trying to drink less uh, soda pop. So I found this uh, tea that is this, uh, what is it? Sort of a raspberry tea. For me, it's been an amazing uh, substitute for having soda pop in the fridge. Make up a gallon of this stuff every so often. Uh, Celestial <laughs> Seasonings Herbal Tea Raspberry Zinger 20 Count Pack of Six. <laughs> oh, the Raspberry Zinger. That's my favorite. Oh, my gosh. So you come across <laughs> this. It, it's, for me, it's like a It's a little bit sweet. Somehow they've naturally mm -hmm. sweetened it. Uh, and it just it substitutes for like soda pop really well in my household. And I think it's been yeah, beneficial. It's, yeah. I'm a, I love tea as well. So I think it's a good option mm -hmm. to, uh, to drink. I'm also going to link to this, uh, nifty, uh, tea maker thing that I found that I use with it. The name is okay. kind of confusing, so I'm not really going to bother with that, but that'll be in the show notes. Yeah. That's my pick for this okay. week. Cool. Uh, Jason, how about you? Uh, uh any picks for this week? Yeah, I'm going to pick a movie that's coming out here uh, called American Made with Tom Cruise. And the reason I'm going to pick that is because um, I'm here in Atlanta. And uh, over the last several years, I've had the opportunity to be a movie extra in a lot of different movies. And uh, in this movie, I was uh, in, in the film. And in fact, if you watch the movie trailer, I'm in the trailer. What? The what? So uh, it's called American Made. If That's you watch awesome. the trailer, it's about two thirds of the way through. You'll see um, he's uh, Tom Cruise is talking about Cadillac in the trunk, and he looks over to the. There's a bench next to him, and he looks over, and I'm sitting on the bench with him. And so there's this scene that plays out where he's interacting with us, and um, and so I actually during the filming of the of the scene, the director was kept asking, you know, there's I, I think I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more from you. And there was I don't know. 10 of us that are on the set, including Tom Cruise. And so at the end of the scene, or towards the end of the scene, I just yell out, you're letting him go? 
And uh, I just asserted this line as this extra, and uh, the director liked it. So I ended up doing several takes with this line. So I'm excited to see if that's going to end up making the final cut, and uh, and uh, the, and whether or not these two scenes, to what degree, I'll be uh, I'll show up. So I'm excited for that. <laughs> my that my ten seconds cool. of fame. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. And it looks like it has a uh, good score on the uh, Rotten Tomatoes. I'm excited. I, yeah. I definitely have to see this now. Yeah. So uh, American Made. Uh, 20, uh, I guess not this Friday, but but a week from Friday. So it'll be the 29th. <clears throat> September. <clears throat> uh, my two picks for the week. I always love playing around with new productivity systems. Uh, I'm a long, long, long-term OmniFocus user and just switched back to using it as my primary getting things done tool. But I'm yeah. playing around with Amy Hoy's new tool, Sweep, uh, Sweep.Cards. And I'm really okay. liking it for boards of recurring tasks. I've used Trello a ton in the past and Trello is awesome, but it just falls down in certain places when you're like, okay, this is the thing I need to do once every two weeks. And yeah. Sweep really, really solves that problem. And I'm very, very excited to see the direction it goes. Uh, I'm also playing around with much more of an analog system for some projects and tasks, literally a pack of uh, post-it notes and a Sharpie write down just brain dump style, every task I could think of that I need to do for that project sort into high priority and low priority and then just start pulling from the high priority stack and get through as many as possible. No distraction, no additional apps to use, just as simple as possible. So uh, my picks for the week would be uh, sweep.cards and a stack of post-it notes. <laughs> cool. Awesome. All right, everybody. I guess that's our show for this week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks again to Jason. And we hope you join us next week for The Freelancer Show. Bye. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.